Good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. You can go ahead and turn your Bible to Acts chapter 9. And we are marching along in this study. I want to say again to all of our guests, thank you for being here. And any first-time guests, thank you for being here today. And hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. We want to be a blessing to you. I'm going to make sure you go by the Welcome Center because we got a gift for you. And just to say thank you, hopefully get to meet you a little bit. Uh, but we uh, have been studying this for quite some time. We continue to uh, march along in this and, again, have seen so much, hopefully learned a lot along the way. This book of Acts is, is, is in many regards, a book of history for the church. And so we look back and we know that there's certain things that happened that were for certain reasons and for certain seasons. Uh, we've seen the, the beginning of the church, the birth of the church, if you will. We've seen the, the descent of the Holy Spirit and power on the first church at the day of Pentecost, we've seen great persecution. We've seen the dispersion of the church, uh, the apostles, the first church there, again, experienced a lot of these uh, struggles. But we also have learned about the apostolic age. Uh, we've seen great victory, seen the souls saved, souls baptized, cities changed, regions changed uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've also seen martyrs for Jesus Christ. Uh, we've seen uh, people step up. We've seen uh, the apostles, the deacons of that first church step up, members step up. And we've learned along the way that this church, this first church, our heritage, our lineage, have had a, a love for God, a love for one another, a love for others that drove them to be like-minded in their purpose on this earth, the whole reason why they were here. And again, in this, they had a unique unity that existed that's not found anywhere else in the world other than in the church of Jesus Christ. The last week we saw Philip, uh, one of those uh, original seven deacons in this first church, and uh, he led an Ethiopian eunuch who was in charge of all the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia, Candace, and uh, we saw him get saved, saw him get baptized, and uh, in that we saw a couple of very important lessons, I think, even for us today. Uh, number one, we saw the importance of immediate obedience. Uh, when God says something in his word, you and I shouldn't mull, or, mull it around. Well, I don't know. I know God says this. I'm not sure if I want to live like that. That's not how we should respond to God's commands. We should respond with immediate obedience. And one of those very first commands, one of the first things we should do as a follower of Jesus Christ is to take that first step of obedience and baptism. We talked about what baptism is. Uh, we talked about how it's complete immersion. It's also uh, very important in that it makes us, uh, or it causes us to be identified publicly with Jesus Christ. It's not to finish our salvation. It doesn't make us spiritually clean, uh, but it identifies us much like a wedding ring, identifies us with being in a, a lifelong covenant with our spouse. Baptism is that outward sign that we're in a, an eternal covenant uh, with our God. And so this morning... We're going to move forward in chapter 9, and we're going to see a little bit of a turn, a shift maybe, uh, and an amping up of the Great Commission, if you will. And the reason why I say an amping up is because right now, it's hard for us to imagine this, and, and if you'll just try to for a second, even if you have to close your eyes, whatever you have to do to eliminate distractions, but try to imagine the church being in a very hostile uh, environment. There is no really safe place to be a Christian. There's no really blessings like we're enjoying right now coming into this place, not fearing any type of 
uh, attack or persecution. And, and, and even beyond that, being a Christian, you didn't even feel safe in your home being a Christian. Uh, think about that for a second. Try to imagine that. Try to imagine your day-to-day life like that. At your job, you couldn't be a bold witness unless you knew it was going to cost you possibly your life. You couldn't be an unashamed Christian everywhere you went, handing out tracts, handing out invite cards to people. It, was, it, was, it would be a completely different way of living for us. That's how these people were living. They didn't know when they went home after working in the fields or in, working in the marketplace or going to get some some groceries, they didn't know when they got home if they were going to be met with hostile people ready to take their life simply because they were followers of Jesus Christ. And so I want to pray this morning and and see what God's going to do in the midst of all of this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you again for all that you do. We know that you are God and you are worthy of praise. We know that this morning uh, four or five songs don't do justice. Lord, we know that uh, we, we should be praising you every day, all the time, because uh, that would just begin to scratch the surface of what you deserve, what you're worthy of. God, you are worthy of all of our praise. And uh, Lord, we pray that what we have offered to you has been a blessing, uh, if that's possible, to your ears, uh, at least a, a sweet-smelling sweet savor uh, to you, an offering of sacrifice. Lord, we pray that you bless now as your word is preached and as we offer ourselves um, just as recipients of your word, ready to receive. I pray that you'd work in this place. If there's somebody here that is maybe trying to fight against what you are working in their life or what you want to do in their life today, maybe somebody come in this place today not believing that you could save them, I want to pray that you would reveal yourself to them today and uh, just do a great work and we'll praise you for it Lord we ask all this in Jesus name Amen you know we've seen uh, the amazing the miraculous the the sad the inspiring and as we see this shifting of gears this morning all of this is a part of God's plan and we talked about that a little bit last week and, and his plan to reach the world with the people that he's redeemed and that's, that's a little difficult for us to understand how, and again, I don't want to be repeating messages, but we've, we've tried to struggle with or wrestle with how we as Christians, the people of God, God can send us to the desert. God can take us to places where it's uncomfortable and it's not enjoyable and it's a struggle and it, is, uh, it makes us feel like maybe we did something wrong. Um, what, what's wrong with me? What's, what's wrong with us? What happened in our life? And, and sometimes we can't explain it uh, other than God has a plan. He's good. He's sovereign. And uh, he uses people for purposes beyond what we can imagine sometimes. And again, we know who the apostles were. We know that they were simple fishermen. They were tax collectors. And, and, and if you know anything about that, the tax collectors, the publicans of the day were despised working for the Roman government, traitors to, seemingly to the people of Israel themselves. But they were regular men, and they were sinful men. But they were purchased by Jesus Christ. And now he's going to do something seemingly even more impossible, something even beyond what he's already done, how he's already worked. And so in Acts chapter 9, we pick up where I believe the beginning of chapter 8 
uh, left off with this person called Saul. And he was persecuting the church, we learned in Acts chapter 1, or he was consenting to at least Stephen's death. Uh, that means that he basically applauded this, this, this zealot for Jesus Christ, him being stoned to death, holding the, the coats of those people who were stoning him. And maybe he got some, uh, zeal, some extra zeal from that, uh, seeing that uh, they could actually, what he thought, stop the gospel of Jesus Christ by simply eliminating the followers of Jesus Christ. And so in Acts chapter 9, we kind of pick up what he did in those, in those um, months, if you will, of uh, ministry, gospel ministry. And uh, it says this in verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder, and just kind of stop for this threats and murder. Um, many people believe this is kind of like an idi idiomatic phrase, uh, and specifically talking about what type of threats he was breathing out. So uh, the first word define, or the second word defines what type of threats he was doing, of course. So that means he was breathing out threats of murder, not threats and murder, but threats of murder. I'm going to take you back to what I said a while ago. Imagine living every day, getting up every day, and wondering if today was the day that because you were a follower of Jesus Christ, not only your freedom was going to be taken away, but your life taken away from this earth. Paul was going around, the Bible says, breathing out murder threats, death threats, for those who were specifically followers of Jesus Christ. And it says, against the disciples of the Lord. How did he do this? What was his plan? What was his, 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 his tactics? The Bible says that he went even to the high priest and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. And so he was trying to get the, this religious authority from the religious leaders of the day to enter into these synagogues. Why? So that if he found any, any who were of the way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Again, put yourself there. Tomorrow morning, if the Lord allows us to see another day, many of us will get up, go into the office, go, in, go to the job, go about our day, and not think a second about possibly being arrested for our faith. We're going to get up and make our coffee, coffee, have our breakfast, whatever, work out, get up, go to work, and not think a second about the potential that somebody may come and not only want to throw us in prison, but have us put to death simply for saying, I believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for my sins, he literally rose from the grave three days later. And again, he is the only way. Somebody coming to our place of business, somebody maybe even after we get home, knocking on our door or kicking our door down and saying, you're done because you follow Jesus. And in our minds, it, it seems, you're sitting there. And, and like me, trying to imagine that, it almost seems like a movie. It almost seems like fairy tale. It almost seems like... I. I we can't, we can't really associate with it because most of us have never experienced anything like that before. We've lived in absolute freedom, absolute blessing, with no worries at all about being a Christian. And even now, 
Even though there's certain things swirling around in our nation, I believe coming after the faith, the way, maybe one of the worst things that we could face now is being censored on social media. Many of us at some point probably have heard, if you've been here, of course, you heard in Acts chapter 8, uh, but there's probably a lot in this room that have somewhat, uh, some, some type of knowledge of the Apostle Paul, who he was before the Apostle Paul, and again, that's who we're talking about here. Some, some may not know how this relates to this, this person we're talking about, Saul. Uh, so here is a little bit of who Saul was according to Saul before he was saved. In Philippians chapter 3, it talks about how people can boast in the flesh and how he, fe- he felt like as a, a Hebrew, as a Jew, he could boast even more than anybody else on his laurels in this world. And so he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says, I could boast more than anybody about who I was in this world. Paul was basically saying, I had it going on in man's eyes, in the world's eyes, in Judaism. I was the man, he said. Verse 5, he explains how he could say that, a statement like that. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day, not as an adult, not as a, 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 somebody later in life, but as a Jew, he was circumcised according to the law of the eighth day of the people of Israel. He was a Jew born, a, a born Jew. He continues, of the tribe of Benjamin, son of Rachel, not of the maidservant, Rahab. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. No, no one of the parents or one of the, in the lineage was a Gentile. He was a pure-blooded Jew. As to the law, a Pharisee. And what is, why is that important for him to say that I could boast in this? Because again, he's talking to people who are followers of Christ in, in Philippians. He's, he's explaining that uh, the, the confidence that we could have in the flesh, what we could boast on in this world, is really nothing. That's where he's going to. But he continues on to say that he was of the, the strictest sect of the, the Pharisees. It's estimated during this time, Paul's time, as, as he was a Pharisee, there was about 6,000 Pharisees. So Paul was one of those 6,000, but of the strictest. He was maybe considered one of the top Pharisees of the day, religious leaders of the day. Acts chapter 26, he's standing there uh, before uh, King Agrippa, and he's at a defense trial. He's defending himself. In verse 4, he says, My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. That's a pretty bold statement. He's standing there before King Agrippa, Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, as a child of God, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, but he's explaining the way that he used to live before from the time that he was born all the way up until the point he got saved, all the Jews knew him. All the Jews knew his way of living, the way he lived his life. They knew me from the first. If they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Again, what does that mean? What does it mean to be the strictest sect? It's the most precise and rigorous group of people in interpreting the Mosaic Law and even in observing the Mosaic Law. Verse 6, back in 
Philippians, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. What does that mean? That means every day when Paul got up as a Pharisee before he was saved, what drove him, what stirred his passion for life, what, what again, what gave him fervor to, to, to go about his days was persecuting the church. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine somebody's greatest delight every day was to go rip families apart, to take mothers away from their children, to take fathers away from their homes. He got joy in doing that because they were following Jesus Christ. What a, what a demented, disturbed, evil heart to say, my zeal was found in persecuting the followers of Jesus Christ. That's what I live for. If we flip over to Acts chapter 22... He's explaining himself there before, again, he, he finds himself before Agrippa. He says this, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strictest manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness that's how I live my life before Jesus I, 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 I didn't care if it was a, a, a woman nursing her infant I, I, I ripped them away from their families took them out of their homes I bursted through their doors I had letters from the high priest and I, I took them to prison and I wanted to see them put to death Then I journeyed to Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Back in Philippians, again, he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Again, ceremonially, Paul said, I was keeping every part of the law. I was doing everything that the law said. I was blameless. No one could look at my life and say, well, Paul, you're not keeping this aspect of the law. In the eyes of man, he was saying he was legally blameless. Saul was an absolute zealot for the cause of Judaism. He was who we already got a glimpse of in Acts chapter 8, enjoying seeing someone put to death. First three verses of Acts chapter 8. This man was a loyalist for the cause of Judaism, so it seemed. His heart was set on his own purposes for his own benefit. And for his own exaltation, he was proud of who he, was, who, who he was and what he was doing on this earth for Saul and for the cause, again, of Judaism. But we're going to soon find out that Paul, or Saul, was so blind in life. And so I, the first point I think is very important for us to um, see and, and point out and, and take note of is this, man's purpose for his life can blind him to God's purpose. Can you, can you imagine again the Apostle Paul, well, Saul, I'm sorry, before he was the Apostle Paul, he saw, he, we don't hear about his family, we don't, we, history, there's, there's all kinds of different beliefs and, and, and stuff. Well, Paul was married, he got divorced, and, or he, he was a widower, or, or whatever. We don't have any idea, really, that Paul was married. What we do have is that he was single, when he was saved, when he was writing letters, and he encouraged even people to stay that way so that they could give all of their life to Jesus Christ. 
But before Jesus Christ, all we hear about Paul's life, he doesn't say, I had an amazing family, I had wonderful kids, I had all of this stuff. No, all we know about the Apostle Paul when he was Saul the Pharisee was he was all about Saul the Pharisee. That's what we know. We don't know if he cared about his extended family. We don't hear about his, his parents. We don't hear about his cousins. We don't hear about no one except for Paul or Saul and what Saul was doing to make Saul happy. He had a purpose in life, and he makes it very clear over and over and over again that his zeal was to destroy Jesus Christ's church. What a demented purpose. What a, what a despicable passion to have in life is to see, want to see people's lives destroyed because they're trying to follow Jesus Christ. But that's what got him up. That's what drove him. And it teaches us a lesson today, again, that our purpose can blind us to God's purpose just as Paul's was. Now, our will, our dream can drive us to live for us or drive us to live for the world. It may not be, of course, I don't think anybody in this room is in their mind thinking that they can, associate, they can relate to Saul, the Pharisee, wanting to get up every morning and destroy other Christians' lives. I don't think any of us can relate to that in this room. But maybe we can relate to being driven by what we want for our life, like, like Saul was. Maybe we can be honest enough this morning to say, you know what? What gives me passion is something worldly. What gets me up every day is being successful at my job. What, what, what gets me up every day is making sure that we have nice things. What, what drives me in my life is to make sure that we get to do, that I get to do what I want to do when I get free time. We often develop a dream, a vision. We can call it a goal for our life. That is completely void of godly influence, yet claim to be followers of Christ. And we can even make it sound Christian, but Christ is far from it at all. Right? We, man, I, I really want to I really do this, and I know that God loves to bless us like this and, and has given us these things, and so I don't think there's anything wrong. Again, we talked about that recently. Fleshly actions and speech and thoughts sprinkled with spiritualized talk just to make us feel better consciously. It's not of the Holy Spirit. So many times we have this earthly idea of what we want for our lives and it completely blinds us. Maybe it doesn't blind us, maybe it actually stops our ears to what God's plan is for our life. Paul was of the Jews, by the Jews, for the Jews. You look at his life, if you were a Jew and you're like, man, we all need to be like, like Saul. Saul is so passionate about Judaism. He's so passionate about the law. He's trying to stop all of the, the false teachings out there and this new false teaching that's arisen, Jesus and the gospel and all these things. Saul is the guy that we need to try to follow after. He had authority and power. He was relentless. But he sadly was missing a whole lot. He's missing it all. What Paul was missing was that even though he was of the Jews, by the Jews, for the Jews, 
so was Jesus, which included Saul. He was for Saul. Now, he was, again, the judge of Saul at this point whenever he was persecuting him. And what Saul saw as a threat was actually the very epitome of his existence and the purpose of his life. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine seeing the, 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 the person for, for which your whole life exists for, the, 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 the person that you have life at all because you see as the threat to your life? But that's what sin does. And that's what the world does. And that's what our flesh does. Right? That, that even, even when we get saved, we can slide back into that thing where we start thinking that we want to do these things, but we have to do these other spiritual things. And if we didn't have this going on, then we could still do this. It blinds us. We talked about a couple weeks ago about being in the wrong place. And Saul is another example of this here. He was in the wrong place, viewing along with the other Pharisees, along with the other religious leaders, Jesus, his church, as the enemy. Again, we learned that any time that we feel like fellow believers are the enemy, any time that we start attacking from within, we're in the wrong place. Our perspective, our emotions, our mind, our spirit. Again, Jesus prayed. Read it when you get time again today. I had it in the message a couple weeks ago in John chapter 17. Jesus is praying to the Father, God the Son, praying to God, God the Father, I believe as an absolute example of what the heart of God was for his people. And in that prayer, the ultimate point is this, that his followers would have a unity that exists in the world that exists nowhere else in the world except for them. And that that type of unity would be a witness to the lost world that there is only way, one way to the Father. And so Saul, missing the whole point, missing, again, what he saw as a threat, was actually his, his, his family. He didn't see that at the time. It's about to change, though. Him missing the whole point of his life is about to change. Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And I, I lo I've always loved this verse 5. And he said, Who are you, Lord? He knew who he was. But a light shone around him. He couldn't see. He heard a voice saying, Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine the terror? Can you imagine the, the fear being struck in his heart at that moment? That, that he's going with ill intent, with hatred and murder in his heart already. He wants to see mothers taken away from their babies, fathers taken away from their homes. He wants to see these people who are of the way, their lives completely destroyed, who cares about the kids. We'll take them in and train them in the law. Take them out of that poisonous situation in their family. Hatred, bitterness. And the very one who you're trying to destroy stops you on the road with a blinding light. Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? 
I'm Jesus. And then he says this, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Goads were often used for oxen as they were plowing. You can use it for other type of farm animals, but um, you, know, you, could, you could prod them with it, uh, sometimes put on uh, the, 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 uh, the harnesses uh, so that they couldn't go any other direction except for the direction that uh, the farmer wanted them to go. And so if the oxen went a different direction, either by the, the, the farmer's own hand or by the, the setup, uh, the, the pricks would continue to prod the animal in the right direction. Someone said the metaphor of an ox only driving the goat deeper by kicking against it is a classic one. And here forcibly expresses not only the vanity of all his measures for crushing the gospel. In other words, Jesus was revealing him, the more you fight against me, the more, the deeper the wound that you're inflicting upon yourself. Right? Because Jesus knew what was about to happen to, to, to Saul. And he also knew what he had in store for the Apostle Paul. And he knew that once the Apostle Paul had been saved from his sins and, and was serving the Lord that he was trying to destroy, that he would feel like the chiefest of all sinners, the least of all the apostles, which he would say, both of those, because he persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. You so you're, you're kicking against the pricks, and the, the more you go down this road, the more damage you're doing to your own self. You keep fighting against me. All I want to do is save you. Wow. Number two, our last point is it's better to give God full attention now than waiting until he gets your attention later. I can tell you it's better to surrender now than to wait for the Lord to cause you to surrender later. I've said so many times, we have or develop, even as professing believers, I said a while ago, this earthly idea of what we want our lives to be. And when we get this earthly idea of what our lives want to be, and, and some of those things are blessings from God, but we make them our own God and goal of our life. It could be our family. It could be providing for our family, our jobs. It could be uh, the, the things that God's provided, our food, water, shelter. I mean, we, we, can, we can live for a lot of things that aren't what we should be living for. And so we develop this idea, even as followers of Jesus Christ, of what our life is supposed to be, but it's earthly, it's fleshly, it's carnal. And as I said a while ago, it not only can blind us, but it can stop our ears to what God's plan is for us to be living right now. When I graduated from high school, I was that person. It wasn't that I was fought, fighting against God's plan and, and trying to be rebellious in my life. There, that wasn't in my heart at all. The reality of my life is that I wasn't even considering what God's direction might be for my life. Baseball was the direction. It was my direction. I didn't consult God. I didn't turn to God. I didn't seek God. I didn't... I didn't Ask the Savior who I professed as Lord. So I plowed forward like an ox. And the goads kept getting deeper. I wasn't looking to destroy Christianity like Saul was. I wasn't looking to hurt anybody or, or destroy anybody's life like he was doing. I, I was just simply going the direction that I wanted to go in this world. But God got my attention. <laughs> 
And it wasn't for salvation, but it was for direction. I simply had a selfish, worldly, carnal vision for my life on this earth. That's the truth. And if you asked me back then, that's not how I would have viewed it. And chances are, if, if you are that person now, that's not how you view it. Unless the Spirit of God reveals that that's you. Maybe it is. Maybe, you're, maybe your job, your, your, your success at your job, maybe your kids and what they are going to do. Maybe, maybe you have made your life what you think you, it should be. I encourage you. Give God your full attention now before he gets your attention later. It'll be a lot harder later. God began closing every door and confounding my plans, making, making me feel like, oh, what am I doing with my life? What am I supposed to do? Period. Until all I could do was run to him for his plan. And I'm not saying working, having a job, going to college, playing sports, a career is. But if that's the end, if that's the goal, if there's no consideration or consultation with the God that you say is your God, his will, then the only thing it can be is fleshly or worldly. That's it. I put in the notes, our carnality can rob us of the abundant life. When we get about us, similar to like, the, the, like Saul the Pharisee, when it's all, all about us and what we want to do, ignoring the plans of God, ignoring the love of God, the heart of God, our Savior, our Lord, like, like Saul was living, our carnality can rob us of the abundant life. And I want that to sink in for a second. Because again, we get so set on this world being the blessings that affords us the abundant life. And this world is not what affords us the abundant life. The blessings in this world don't afford us the abundant life. If that's how we're living, we are missing what Jesus said that only he could offer. If, if, if you want the success, if you want the stuff, if, if that's what is making you happy every day, if you get up every morning like Saul did and your zeal, your passion is for that stuff, you're missing the abundant life. You're missing it. John chapter 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Mark chapter 10, Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? His disciples were amazed at his words. Oh, whoa, wait a second. Why are you saying that? Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the, the, the kingdom of God? He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. He said it again. Wait, 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 wait. Then who can be saved? I mean, if we consider all the people that have wealth and what is considered wealth, who can be saved? Who can go to heaven? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, see, look, we've left everything to follow you. I mean, if you're talking about it's hard for a rich person to enter into to heaven, look at our lives. I mean, can't we be saved? We left everything. We left our homes, everything. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one 
who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Often what we make our lives all about, he says there's no one who leaves that stuff behind, who stops living for that stuff, who stops being passionate about that stuff for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's land, with, even if there's persecution, he said, and not only the blessings that I can give them, but also in the age to come, eternal life. He says, but many who are first will be last and last will be first. It's very possible, like the disciples in the boat with Christ, to forget that this life is all about him. Mark chapter 8, a couple of chapters back, he says, now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf of them in the boat and he cautioned them saying watch out beware of the leaven of the pharisees the leaven of herod the yeast the, what, what spoils what what rots and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread oh we messed up we only got one loaf jesus aware of this said to them why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread do you not yet perceive or understand and then he asked them this are, are your hearts hardened Having eyes you do not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, right? That's exactly what happens, and that's what Jesus was reminding them of. He had taught them. He had showed them. He had had five loaves and two fishes and did this amazing miracle. And here they were in the boat with one loaf saying, oh, no, we messed up. We're in the boat with Jesus with one loaf. What are we going to do? We're far from the land. We can't get more bread. What are we going to do? And Jesus said, what is wrong with y'all? Don't you remember? There were 5,000 men. We had five loaves. Everybody ate, and we had leftovers. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with your eyes and your spiritual ears? What's wrong that you can't see and, and understand these things spiritually? Verse 6, I'm sorry, not verse 6. There, there are several times in, in the Gospels that Jesus says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So the charge is to the lost person like Saul. You can either give your life and your full attention to Christ now. If you're here this morning and you're not 100% positive that you're going to go to heaven when you die, the charge this morning is you can either give your life to Christ now and give him your attention. You can surrender your all now, willingly, of your own accord. Or one day, it'll either be in this life or after this life. You will give him your attention and surrender. But it might be too late. If it's after this life, it will be too late. Romans chapter 14 tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. So on this journey to capture more Christians, Saul, as I close, encounters Jesus Christ. You can imagine the hate, the violence in his heart. Imagine this military entourage that he has, ready to strike fear and hurt and death upon Christians of the day. And then suddenly they were struck from on high with a light from God. That voice brought immediate conviction, just as it still does today. I hope that it does for you, believer, what it does for me. We can quickly and easily slide off that path 
of complete surrender to Christ. Grab that vision of, of our life for ourselves and miss it. But it's an undeniable voice of conviction for the lost person. Some respond with a submitted heart like Saul did, and we'll see in, 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 in future messages. Some turn away and say, not now. If you're going the wrong direction and you keep going that direction, you're only doing yourself more harm. I'm going to ask you this morning a couple questions. We're so blessed in, in, our, in our world, and if you're here, you've been battling conviction, maybe you've been living for this world, how long are you going to kick against the pricks? Has God been dealing with your heart about salvation? How long are you going to kick against the pricks? What about if you are a Christian? What about baptism, church attendance, or, or membership? What about a call maybe he's placed on your life, young person? There's no time like the present to surrender all, to give God your attention. Are we redeeming the time? I want to encourage you and I pray in just a second. Maybe you just need to come forward this morning. You're a Christian and you're willing to admit that you have been living for a vision of your life versus the vision that God has for your life. Maybe you just want to come down here and say, God, I'm sorry. I give you full attention again. I don't want to live for me. I don't want to live for this world. I want to live for you and you alone and experience that abundant life. And if you're here, when we have this invitation and you're not positive heaven's going to be your home, then come down this morning. Let us, let us pray. Let us show you in God's word how today that all could change. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you do in our lives and the challenge that you give us in your word and uh, the conviction that you give me, the conviction that you give to, to all your people. And I pray that we'll respond rightly. God, that we will stop living for ourselves. God, that the days are evil we're living in and they just seem to get more evil and you tell us in your word that we should redeem the time because they are evil not to continue wasting time not to continue living for a vision that we formed for ourselves God but to live in the will and the plan that you have for our lives so Lord I pray that we would uh, surrender to that this morning Lord help us respond rightly in Jesus name amen I encourage you to stand as he plays I want to encourage you to come